0: So we've been uh, going through the book of Galatians. We're just about coming to the end of that. And um, Galatians is probably one of the most succinct explanations of the gospel. And you say, well, why? Why does? Because the gospel in Paul's day was really misunderstood. People didn't understand it. Just like today, people don't understand it today. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that a lot of people have heard the gospel, but they've never heard the gospel. I mean, I'm absolutely convinced of that because I, I sit down with people all the time and I, in my office and I talk to them saying say, you know, you, you've heard the gospel. Tell me what the gospel is. When they describe what the gospel is, I said, you've heard the gospel, but you haven't heard it. You don't understand it. And that's why Paul wrote a whole letter and he was basically explaining the gospel in this letter. So, We ended last week talking about keeping in step with the Spirit. And we said that a Christian is somebody who has the Spirit of God within them. And that the goal of the Christian life is not really... The goal of Christian maturity is not really to read a book or to be the smartest or go to a seminar. But it's to allow the Holy Spirit to control you, direct you. And, And Paul uses the phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the same gate, in the same pace with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, because as you keep in step with the Spirit, you'll demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Right? Did you memorize that? I challenge you to memorize that verse. How are you doing on that? Uh, Galatians 5, 21 and 22, is that right? 22, 23? You know it's in there somewhere, right? Always, always memorize the past, the, the reference with it, see? You gotta do that, or you'll never find it again. Alright, so we said that the, the practical outpouring and walking in the Spirit is not some mystical inner experience, but it's demonstrating love uh, in our day-to-day relationships. So in our passage this weekend, Paul's going to show us that when we really see who we are and understand who we are in God's eyes, then we will be a blessing to other people. But the other the other side, conversely, it's just it, it is is that if we if we don't come to understand who we are, or if we take our cue from our friends or from our our pop culture, and we 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 get this idea of who we are, and it's a warped idea of ourselves, we'll end up being a, a burden to our our friends and our families and the people around us. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start reading verse 25 on page 893 in your chair Bible. And I'd love you to have either a Bible or your, your smartphone with a Bible app on it so you read through the powers in the Word of God. It's not what I say, it's in the Word of God. Um, also, I'm challenging you to read through the New Testament before Easter, and if you're doing that, you probably just finished, uh, let me see, what did I just finish? I just finished Hebrews. So, uh, book of James. If you haven't done any of this, and you say, well, it's too late now, no it's not, because you can read the book of James, and you read a chapter a day, and you read one of the most practical epistles that's written in the New New Testament. Very practical. Just read one chapter of James a day this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you'll have read through the epistle of James. And you'll be glad you did. Galatians 5.25 Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin. You who are godly, or you know some translations put it spiritual. I think spiritual is a better translation. I'll talk more about that in a moment. You who are spiritual, if you see a, another brother, an, a sister, a believer, who is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too To help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You, here, some of you just need to hear these next words here. You are not that important, (laughs) right? (laughs) Sometimes we think we are. No, you are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, uh, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. So how are we to relate to to one another? And how are we to treat each other? Well, our conduct towards others, and this is what I found, my conduct towards others, you probably found it too, is driven by my opinion of myself. How I f- view myself really directs how I treat other people. And that's our problem. We all struggle with a, with what we call a self-image. We all desire to be loved. We all want to be known and understood, don't we? we? We all need to know that somebody out there cares that our life has meaning, that it matters. We all have that to some extent. And if we're not feeling good about Ourselves, then our relationships will suffer. And Paul basically says there's two wrong ways that we can approach people. The first way is we could become conceited and we can provoke one another and not in a good way. So he says some of us are, you know, have too high a view of ourselves. We think we're too, you know, we used to say when we were kids, you think you're hot stuff. You know, you know dumb phrase, but I don't know what they say now. You're, you're all that or whatever, you know. But the question is some people are that way, and, and, and they will you know, they 'll challenge they have to win, they try to beat, they always have to be uh, like on top, they always have to have the last word, they always have to be right, you know you can never prove them wrong and, we, and, and there are people out there, and i 'm not thinking there 's anyone in this room that needs to prove they 're superior to others um, or You know, simply comes along this. They think too highly of themselves. Like you'll you'll see it. You know, you see it sometimes on the basketball court where some players come out and they say, you know, they think they're all that, and they say, look at me and all that, and they're haughty and and um, they think that they're the best thing since sliced bread. And then the opposite of that is Paul. Then shows the opposite side of conceit, and that's envy. We envy others because we are jealous of their gifts, abilities, and, and attainments. But when we are led by the Spirit, we have a healthy self-image. We respond to people with humility and a desire to assist them. And Paul, uh, people who keep, are keeping in step with the Spirit, they don't think too highly or too lowly of themselves. And that's where it comes in. Some people think too highly. And, and frankly, if, you know, if I walked around and said, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, I just am fabulous, I'm wonderful, I'm, you know, you would go, you know, you need to get a grip. You're not that, it says in the passage, you're not that good, right? Essentially, so some of, you, you would say, if somebody walks around, you say, man, come on down to earth here, man. Really, you're, you shouldn't talk that way. Or you hear somebody say, oh, I'm just awful, I'm horrible, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm garbage. And you say well you shouldn't talk that way either you know so both of those uh, seem like uh, they're wrong you know when when you say i'm something special or you, i'm a piece of garbage uh people say well no and you shouldn't talk either way about yourself you too high of you or too low of you and paul basically held a very holistic view of her, human personality and he held them in tension and balance notice what he says in 1st timothy and i'll show you the balance in paul he says this in uh, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should a- a- accept it. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to be a good teacher. He didn't come to perform miracles. He came to save sinners, right? But then notice what he goes on to say. Paul says, he taxed this on, and I'm the worst of them all. Now you would say, well, Paul has a very low self-image. It's a very poor self-image, but then Paul goes on and he gets in this debate with the church at Corinth because there were some, you know, teachers in the church and people in the church, and they said, "I'm a Paul, I'm of a Paul, I'm a, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow this person." So it was like a popularity contest, and they, they thought they were really better than they were of themselves. And there were these false teachers. And Paul basically addresses that. And he basically, kind of almost in a sarcastic way, he addresses that. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. He says, I don't consider myself inferior to any of these, quote, super apostles. Um, and I think the point is, he's, he's essentially... Using, he's being ironic here, he's he's being sarcastic here. And he says, Who teach such things? I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. Now, I don't think Paul's acknowledging that he was unskilled as a speaker. That's what was, that was the take on him. That's what people were saying. Some people were saying that. And he's saying, um, I may, you may think I'm unskilled in that, but you know what? I have some ability and I have some knowledge. So Paul is balancing his fallenness with his giftedness. He is saying, I'm a sinner, but I'm also forgiven at the same time. And notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 16-18, 11, uh, and then I'm going to jump down a little bit. He says this, Again, I say, Don't think that I am a fool to talk like this. But even if you do, listen to me as you would a foolish person, while I boast a little bit. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. I think, again, Paul's saying, you're all acting like fools, so I'll join the club and, and I'll act like a fool, and I'll make my point by being a fool like you. And that's essentially, I think, what he's saying. And and since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. If I must boast, I would rather boast about all the things that show how weak I am, not how great I am, how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. In other words, Paul is saying this. Paul is saying he's not afraid to boast. And he's not afraid to boast in his abilities, but he would rather boast in his weakness. He would rather say, I'm a sinner. See, Paul had a, a really balanced view because he understood the two sides of the Gospel. And I talked about this a little last weekend, but I want to talk about it again. That the Gospel says two really critical, critical things, and they're held in tension in Scripture. The first thing it says, this, the, the, the Bible says, is the Gospel says that you are a sinner and you, are, you have a capacity within you to do incredibly dark things. But God sent His Son to save you from your sin. Paul says, I'm the the worst of sinners. But I'm loved. And I'm forgiven. And I'm His son. I'm His daughter. And He loves me and He has a plan and a purpose. See how those balance each other out? See, I, I can say at the same time, I'm a bad person, but I'm loved. I'm a, I'm a I'm a bad person, but i'm a child of the king you know so those are held in tension i'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior but i'm supremely loved and forgiven i'm given a new standing with God so here's the key point with the gospel, I have the guts to see myself as I really am a sinner who is saved or is loved and accepted by God. See when we finally com- admit that we are nothing and go to the Lord Jesus and give Him our life, He makes us into something special. That's why uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, God is creating you to make His masterpiece. See, this is held in tension in Scripture. That at one moment, you're a sinner, but the next moment, you're forgiven and loved, see? And you're nothing, but you're great at the same time. And so when you get your self-image from God, you have a balanced self-image. You can look in the mirror, and you can acknowledge your sin because you know it's forgiven. And you know that you're not a piece of garbage because... VG, because you're created in the image of God and God made you in His image and sent His Son to die for you. So there's there's this value that you have. And Paul is saying, I'm nothing, but I'm proud of myself. <laughs> He's saying, you're nothing, but you're something at the same time. Because of the cross. Because of the Gospel. Now, when you get this figured out, so the, so here, let's bring it all together. Will you have this foundational self-image, you can begin to love and serve others not because for what they can give you, but out of a deep sense of love and belonging. Because you, many times what we do is we love or we do things for people so that we get something back. But now, if I understand who I am, that I'm a sinner but I'm, I'm forgiven, when I understand who I am in God's eyes, that the one who created the universe, the one who made me in His image, the one who sent His Son... Uh, that He accepts me and loves me based upon Jesus Christ, that I'm not a good person, that I am a sinner, that I needed a Savior, but yet I'm loved and I'm I'm adopted into His family. Now there's a whole new self-image. And now I get my self-image from God. I don't get it from the world. I don't get it from my friends. I don't get it from this this relationship that where I'm trying to get somebody to say, you're valuable, you're important, whether it's a parent or a wife or... A girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever I get it from God and I realize who I am and so now I'm comfortable who I am I admit that I have this capacity to do bad things but I can be forgiven in those but I also admit that I'm his son I'm his daughter and I'm I'm valuable and when we hold that intention now we can begin to serve other people because we have a foundation to move off does that make sense so how do we serve one another Well, he gives us a couple things by first showing dignity and respect for one another. Um, See, we don't approach uh, people in this way. We don't approach them saying, I'm better than you and I'll prove it. Or you're better than me and I resent it. Right? Those are the two that he, he addressed. But we address people, we approach them by saying, you're a person of significance and importance. Uh, You're important in your own right because God made you in His image and Christ died for you. And it's my joy and privilege to serve you. And as I serve you, I worship Him. I can love you when you're unlovable because He loved me when I was unlovable. unlovable. I can sacrifice for you when you'll never give me anything back because He sacrificed everything for me when we had nothing to give Him. And he says that when you understand who you are, you will begin to reach out to people, and you begin to help bear one another's burdens. That's part of what the Christian community is called to do, and it's a really important one. We're all, we, you know, we all have burdens, and the Bible says we're not called to carry them alone. In Psalm fifty-five twenty-two, we're told to cast our burden on the Lord, right? And then in Matthew 11 it says Jesus says come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So there's a place where we cast our burden, our care, our uh, all of that on the Lord, right? But then there's a part where Paul tells us that we are to love our neighbor and as we love our neighbor we fulfill the law. So there's a place where there's a burden that we bear, but there's also a burden that when the burden becomes too much for us, somebody else comes alongside of us and helps us bear the burden that we have because it's too much for us. And that's what Paul says in this passage. In five two. he says that we are to bear one another's burdens. And then in chapter 5, verse 5, he says we are to bear our own load. So there's a point where we are to bear our own burdens... But we are also, we come through those times of life where we need help and we need other people to bear burdens for us. You see, we all must bear our own burdens, do our best, contribute, serve, and love. We must, you know, the Bible says essentially we're all going to stand before God individually. So we all have our own individual burden to carry. And so we can't be lazy and say, well, I'm just going to lay back and do nothing. There's a burden that we have to carry and we have to fulfill on our own, right? But then there's, time, there's those times in life where the burden becomes too much for just us to bear. And That's where we are to assist one another when the load gets too great. Um, I think we've all gone through times, maybe you're right now you're going through one of those times where you just feel like your life is crushing you. Um, and you, you just don't know whether you're going to be able to stand. And I would just say, are you part of a group of people who know your name and know what you're going through right now you see as the church grows bigger in size it's got to grow smaller and the way it grows smaller is you become part of a smaller group whether it's a serving group or whether it's a a small group where you're part of that group where where people know your name they know your kids they know what's going on so when when something happens in your life they're generally the first people that you'll call you'll say hey um I'm going to be going in for surgery, or I need a ride here, or or I just got news. Would you pray with me? And, And they know, you see... That's, that's what the church is called to do when it says to love your neighbor as yourself. This is too big of an audience for that to happen. You're never going to get intimate in an audience like this. But when you get part of a small group, within that small group you'll find a friend or two. You'll find community. You'll find somebody who knows you and, and cares about you. I love it when I go to the hospital to visit somebody and I'm like the third or fourth person there because their small group has already been there. Are you part of a group like that? That's one of the reasons why I want everyone to be connected uh, in a small group because that's where the burden bearing really takes place. It can't take place in this room. You just don't know about that. I see Roger. He's here t- today. He's been in the back. Roger knows what it's You could talk to Roger afterwards about what it's like to have people around you when you go through a difficult time. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about, but a lot of you do because you went and visited Roger. You've been, you're happy to see him here for the first week that he's been here since he had his accident. That's what burden bearing means. That's what the body of Christ is about. So how do we go about doing that? Let me just give you a quick sketch of how do we do it. When you're in that group, how do you help people? How do you help somebody bear their burden? Well, number one, listen to them. That's Job's friends (laughs) right at the beginning. You know, in the book of Job, if you want to read a good... (laughs) Just read like the first five or six or seven or eight chapters and then go to the last few chapters and you'll get the gist of it because essentially what happens is Job was a man in the Old Testament who lost everything. He lost his wealth, he lost his family, and he lost his health. And every time a messenger came, it was bad news. He's like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> you know, And uh, so there he is. He's just sitting there in agony because he's in pain because of the physical ailments that he has. He's lost his, his sons and daughters. He's lost everything that he's owned. And he's just miserable. And his friends come and they do a, absolutely the right thing. They sit with him. And they don't say a word. And then... The, the rest of the, the book of Job until the end when God meets with Job they basically tell him why this all happened they try to find a reason they try to explain it they try to fix it no can I just say one thing I can say more than one because I can say whatever I want but um, when you're going to help somebody and, and I'm kind of like to do this I want to fix your problem I want to solve, I want to bring, I want to do something that makes me feel like it's fixed, it's better. It's, there's a lot of times you're not going to make things better and you're not going to fix it. You're just going to sit with them. You're just going to listen to them. You're just going to hear their heart. You're just going to be quiet with them. They just need to know there's somebody there with them. You can do that, you can just sit there with them. And you can help bear their burden by being there because one of the worst things is when you go through one of those times, to think, I'm, I'm, I'm here all alone. There's nobody here with me. There's nobody that cares. Your presence with them shows you're, you're there. You care. And it may be down the road, there'll be some things you can do, but you just need to be with them, right? Number two, sometimes people, the burden they have is, the wheels start coming off in their lives. They make bad choices and, and they start going in a really bad direction. And it's hurting them, it's hurting their family. And, and, and this is always done in relationship. It's not done, you don't do this when you see a brother who's caught up in sin or a sister who's caught up in sin. And this is talking about approaching Christians. It's talking about Christians approaching Christians. And it's essentially saying you don't go to them uh, if you don't know them. And frankly, uh, I've had people come to me to try to fix me and help me. And it hasn't been fixing and helping to me. And uh, But when you're in relationship with a person and they know you and you know them and you love them and you have a track record with them and, and you see the wheels coming off, then it says you need to go and sit down with them and you need to find out what's going on with them and you need to, to connect with them and help them. And... Uh, The the word here is interesting that's using restore. It's the idea of setting or resetting a bone that's out of joint or mending a net. Something has gone drastically wrong and and there's help that needs to be done. And and so when you see somebody who you know and you're in relationship with them and you see them self-destructing, you say, somebody has to do something, it's got to be me. Like I said, it's always done within relationships. Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 70 gives you a direction. It also tells you to look at, the, at your own life first and not to get drawn into it, uh, to make. Sure. So there's all this self-examination. But it, it's always with the intention that we approach somebody, we always approach them uh, with the idea of restoration. The idea is to help them to be restored, just like setting a bone, though it'll be restored, right, to, to help. And just one really practical thing. This is, should never be done with a man with a woman or a woman with a man. It's always done man to man, woman to woman, or couple to couple. It's not your job as a man to restore a woman who may be a sister in the Lord that you have a good relationship with. To help her back into it's not your job to do that and it's not your job as a woman to do it for a man it is your job as a man to reach out to another man it is your job as a woman to reach out to another woman it is your job as a couple to maybe reach out to another couple but do not do it do not do it that way that's not the way that uh, it's very dangerous and it's, it's inappropriate to do it that way the other thing he says here and i said i would get there he says you who are spiritual now we, or it says godly, and I think the idea there is we read that verse. Of, well, that takes me off the hook because I'm not a very—I haven't been a Christian very long. I don't have much knowledge. Uh, this seems like somebody who's really, really, really super mature. And no, that's not what he's saying. I think essentially what all he's saying here is, the, you have the spirit of God within you. That you're in step with the Spirit, that you've confessed your sin. Again, self-examination. Jesus says you can't take the log out of a, you can't take the the speck out of a person's eye when you have a log in your own eye. And so there has to be self-examination. In other words, Paul's saying don't go in the fruit of, don't go in the, in the, uh, The spirit of the in the uh, the way of the flesh. Don't go in there like a bull in a china shop. First, examine your heart before the Lord. Make sure that you're walking in in your in step with the Spirit. That there's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. All that's going on in your life first. Okay. In other words, he's saying you're under the influence. If you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit and you're in relationship with this person, then it's up to you to go to that person. Don't go in the flesh. Examine your heart first. And then he says, do it gently and cautiously. You're not a bull in a china shop. You're not using the truth as a battering ram. Um, there's two dangers that we have here. One is we take the truth and we just slap people around with it. And if you've ever been on the uh, receiving end of that, it's not too pleasant and it's not too nice. And I found that there's a continuum. Some people who are truth people t- tend not to be compassionate or uh, people who are, uh, come in with uh, empathy, right? And people sometimes who come in with empathy don't ever get to the truth. And I think you, if you are either one, you need to see that you have a weakness or a glare or a, a blind spot that you need to be aware of. But what he says is that we're to go in gently, but we need to get to the truth sometime we need to to address the issue at hand. It doesn't do any good just to to pamper people and to uh affirm them and all that and never say okay, why did the wheels come off? What's going on in your life? How can we address this issue? Yeah, or the opposite is you go in and you say you're an idiot. Why did you do this? You need to straighten up, you know, and, and there's no uh there's no empathy there. So you have to balance that out. So let's just summarize. Paul says that uh how, how we view ourselves, whether we have a good or bad self-image, is going to really factor a lot in how we treat one another. Uh, we'll be envious of them or we'll, be, um, we'll, we'll, uh, tr- we'll think we're better than others. We'll have an unhealthy self-image. But when we view our self-image in, in the light of the gospel, we'll see ourselves as who we are, that we're sinners, but we're forgiven. We're sinners, we're sons, we're daughters, right? Right. Uh, so we build our self-image based upon what God says about us. And as we allow the gospel and the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, then we will begin to help people bear burdens. When their burdens are too big, we will come alongside them and help them. If we go and we do not have this really proper understanding of, of who we are in Christ but because of the gospel, then we will, not, we will not bear their burden. We will become a burden to them. See, when you keep in step with the Spirit, you will not be a burden. You will bear them for others. Paul says, Christians, you have a responsibility to love one another. And sometimes this gets deep. You get really deep into the water with another person when they're going through difficult times and you're helping them to bear the burden. But you have to go in understanding who you are because if you don't, you may become even a bigger burden to that person. But when you go in understanding who you are and you have to do with that self-examination and you allow the Spirit of God to fill you and you go with the idea of restoration, you can really help other people. May God help us to be those type of people where we're connected enough to know when somebody's hurting and we are able to come alongside them and really assist them the way God intended. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. So, Father, this is easy to talk about. It's hard to implement. But we thank You that You've given us Your Word. You've given us Your Spirit. You've given us uh, a plan. Thank You that Jesus was the One who brought the ultimate restoration when He gave His life on the cross for sinners like us. And by doing that, we are restored to our relationship to You. He bore the burden that we could not bear, the cross. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He is the picture and the epitome of a burden bearer. May we leave this place and be just that for the people that we're in relationship with. May we help not only bear our own burdens, but may we look and see the burdens of others and come alongside them and help them as their burden becomes too heavy for them. And may we come alongside those who have found that they're going in a bad direction May you use us to help them to be restored, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.